morning, everyone. How are you? It's great to be uh, survivors of the fire. You see that Camarillo is now famous and all over the all over the nation. I saw Camarillo on Fox News. I saw it on CNN. Uh, Camarillo. They never say it right. Newbury. It's not Newbury. It's Newberry. People get it right. People get it right. Um, really appreciate. Uh, Everyone who was involved, I know it's a few families that uh, had to evacuate a little bit their homes. I know uh, the Spencers did, and a few others had to bug out. And uh, you know, it's it's it's, get, it's pretty hairy. It makes you realize, like Steve said, what is really important, what really matters in your life. And if you had, if you only had two minutes to grab something in your house, what would it be? I would have gone for the photo albums because because my wife would have wanted me to do that. <laughs> I probably would have grabbed the PS3. <laughs> so, that's why I'm married. So, we're, we're here talking about guardrails. If you've been with us, this is our last final installment of the series, Guardrails. And they go so unnoticed. You know, last Sunday, me and Peter and Claire were driving home from the men's retreat, and there's an area on the 101 in Simi Valley where there's no guardrails. And some guy went over the, went over the, the road there and uh, went, went down into the ravine. This car caught fire and burned. And we knew it was a car because it was black smoke. Whenever it was black smoke, you know, it's either a car or some kind of vehicle. And so uh, I got on the, the uh, Ventura County Star online website, and I saw there was a car. Two guys escaped with their lives. Guardrails. And we thought, guardrails. Wish the one was there. So guardrails is a system designed to keep vehicles and people from straying into dangerous, off-limit areas. And the whole idea is about guardrails is that it's a matter of conscience. When you bump up against a matter of conscience, it activates your conscience. It awakens your conscience. Like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the horses here. i got to stop. If I go any further, I'm going to go into really dangerous areas. I could go off the cliff. I could lose myself. And we have guardrails on bridges, as you know. You may not notice them, but they're there. Uh, in medians, they go two ways. Blocking. And unexpected changes of the road, you'll see guardrails. So guardrails are important, and for us, we're trying to really elevate a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. We talked about, last week we talked about sex, week before we talked about relationships, today we're going to talk about money. Guardrails. You know, I thought sex and money... That is the American lifestyle. You know, 90% of people's problems come to us in church dealing with both sex and money. You know, I was watching 30 for 30 a few weeks ago. Well, actually, it was last month. And all these millionaire NBA players, I mean, making it rich. I'm talking millions of dollars. And, and 60% of them file for bankruptcy because they're broke. Can you believe that? You give me $15 million, I guarantee you I will not be broke. Just give me one, and I'll be good. They got tons of money, and they file for bankruptcy. They spend it all. They have kids in 48 different states they got to support. They can't even afford child support anymore. Very sad. And in most cases, these stem from a lack of self-control. That's why we need guardrails. To, when we bump into them, it's like, whoa, it activates something in us. You know, if we were to throw out the rest of the Bible, just throw it out and embrace 
just these two things, sex and money, it would change our culture. It would transform everything. And there's two misconceptions that people have about this kind of about money. One is that and money and sex. One is that the church is against sex. Misconception. Man, don't you do that? And the church wants your money. Those are two big misconceptions that people have about God and church. So if we threw out those two things, everything in the Bible just kept those two things, just kept life about anything sexual and money, it would change everything in our community, in our culture. And it's just for information, God created sex, and the church doesn't want your money. Okay? God doesn't need your money. God doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. He wants to give you something that's going to make your life so rich, so full, so, so enjoyable. That you'll be like, thank goodness I made this decision. You know, if you make a decision when you hit a guardrail, five years from now, you're not going to go back and regret that decision. Go, oh, I'm glad I, I'm glad I, I said no and I hit that guard. I'm glad I made that decision. Versus a lot of decisions that we made, we now sit here with regrets going, oh, I made that four years ago and it's, oh, why did I make that decision? Why did I have that extra drink and get in the car? Why did I have that extra drink and pick up on that girl, though I know I had no business talking to? Remember that, remember that lesson? I gave the women some insight into the male psyche of alcohol. We call it the beer goggles. There is a peace of mind that comes from trusting God as the source of all things. And God's biggest competitor, the biggest competitor for God in, in, in this world, it's not Satan. You would think it is, huh? God and Satan are trying to, trying to fight for souls. God knows He's won that battle. It's over. He knows it's over. There's no competition, right? But there's a competitor that competes with God for you, and it's called money, or i.e. stuff, that you have to have. That's God's biggest competitor with you, is money. It competes fiercely for your life. And God knows it. That's why in the Bible, there are more scriptures about money and possessions than about you having faith in God. Did you know that? More. Almost three to one. More about money and possessions than having faith. You think God would say, believe in me. No. He says, watch out. Be careful. There's competition for your life. It's called money. It competes fiercely for your life. And as uh, it was said earlier, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and one because there's a tension there. There's a tension that you create. I mean, you can put, you can substitute principally, you can substitute anything besides God and it can be anything else. Video games. It can be anything else. But in this specific case, God is noting that money wants to be your master and Lord of your life. And God knows it's a big competitor. And God is concerned about that. Because when we trust we put our trust in stuff. We veer, off and f- we veer off the road and we can fall into two different ditches. One of the ditches is called consuming. It's a ditch. Boom. The other one off-road is called hoarding. Okay? Consuming 
And or consume like you, you buy, you consume stuff. You consume food. You consume. You get clothes, and you know you're you're always getting stuff, right? You're consuming stuff. We're consumers, right? It's what drives the American economy. We're consuming, and ha- and it has a characteristic of an unbridled desire. You just have to, have to, have to, have to. And the other spectrum is hoarding. But that's all. What if, what if the economy breaks down? What if I need that? What if I need my college books 20 years from now? <laughs> what if I need... What if I need... What if this, and so we hoard because of fear. The what if. What if that, so your garage is full of stuff. You're just in case. Just in case you hoard. Because you're scared. And that one time you may need this, I better hoard it. They have a, they have a reality show about that. That is crazy. There's like dead people in there. <laughs> dead animals in there. It's frightening. And these two are married to each other. Consuming and hoarding. You know, the hoarder can say, I'm a saver. God's a saver. But really, it's, it's driven by fear, not God. We're scared, so we hoard. And so these two are married, and they're both rooted in selfishness. They're both self-centered. They're both, it's about me. They're both the same. Whether you're consuming or you're hoarding. And, I, and God has a solution on how to hoard and consume and, be, and live a full life. Because we've got to save something. And we've got to consume something too, right? But the problem is that these two take front and center of our life. Front and center. And there lies the problem. They're front and center. But God has a way that we can consume and we can save and we can be full. And there's a way of doing that. And I'm going to share that with you today. You know, we usually don't include God in our living unless there's a problem. Unless we come into a serious financial dilemma, we fall on our knees and we say, God, please come into my finances. Help me and rescue me. I've done that. I fell on the floor. God, what have I done? Weeping, gnashing of teeth, you know, the whole kitten caboodle. God, if you love me. You know, I've done all those prayers. I'm sure you have too. God, you truly cared about me. I need this whether it's getting a job or, or, or the situation with the housing market or your 401k or your 403b, whatever the case. We fall to our knees when we're in trouble and we ask God. And financially speaking, what we end up doing is we make God like a backup plan. I'm going to do what I want, but I'm going to ask God later. You know, when we get into financial trouble, we get, we get all cozy with God. Hey, what's up, God? It's been a long time, I know. It's been a while. But I just want to, you know, let me give you some love here. Uh, I really appreciate you so much. I mean, I've really thought about you over the years. I haven't been to church in a long time. I haven't studied the Bible forever, but I've been thinking about you. We get cozy with God when we get in trouble. Do we not? Do we not? When you miss your menstrual cycle, ladies, and you've been active and not married, you fall to your knees and say, God, please... Or even if you are married and you, and you got surgically, you know, guaranteed no children, and your wife misses the menstrual cycle, you fall to your knees. This shouldn't happen, Lord, right? Whenever there's trouble, 
We always use God as a backup plan. That's just our human nature. And so God wants to break us from the mentality that the Bible calls greed. Greed. And God wants to be your master and your Lord. Now as an evangelist, one of my roles is to do what I can from keeping you from putting this front and center of consumption and hoarding. So number one, I have to model it and I also have to teach it. And the answer is very, very simple. But whenever I talk about money, some of you guys just tune me out. Because you think it's a money grab, you think church wants your money, but God wants something for your life. Okay, God wants something for you. I'm going to talk about that. So, the guardrail against greed is to reprioritize how you deal with money. Reprioritize. So here's the definition that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6. Here's the definition of greed. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. That's the assumption. When you get paid, when you get money, it's all for me. And you have it all mapped out where it's going. Some of you guys have to like pay the other guy back once you, your check comes in. Well, i got to pay that guy back. And it's this vicious cycle called paycheck to paycheck, right? So here's what the solution that God gives us to combat greed. He says reprioritize. Well, what does that mean? One, give, save, and live or spend. Give to God first. Save something for yourself. Live on the rest. Very simple. Most people flip. Live. Save. And give. They flip it. Because they're hoarders by nature. But if I give, I'm fearful of what my lifestyle might look like. So they flip it. And so they live. Then they save. And then God gets left. What's left over. That's how most people operate. And that's when they find themselves in trouble. And when they do, then they finally invite God in. And this puts consumption and hoarding after God. For all the hoarders, there it is. Yay! You can hoard! You can save! For all the ballers in the house, yeah, you can live! You can live your life! You can have that, you know, that coach bag. You can have whatever size diamond you want in your earrings, right? But give first. Give first. Some people are just car rich. They roll in the sweetest car and they pull into a 900 a month, a month apartment. That's what they do. That's what they do. Some people have the biggest house in the block. But it's backwards. Can't give. It's all in the house. With my kids, Karen and I have taught them at very, very early age. When I think they were two and three years old, we gave them three jars. They still have these jars. These are not the exact jars because that's a picture of three jars, but we gave them three jars just like that. I think it was, they were spaghetti sauce jars. And once it give, save, and spend or, or live. And, we, and we, we would give them a little, little allowance and they would, they, would, they would give to God first. They would save 
and then they would live on the rest. So giving whatever it was, a buck seventy-five or what it was, whatever they got, they would, they would save that. They would give to God first. I, I, always, I always encourage and teach to be a percentage giver, not a dollar amount giver. Because as your income rises, it's more of a percentage, not a dollar amount. And then they save. They save for, you know, I want, I want this for later. I want this. I want to get this thing. We'll save for it. If you want a penny board, son, you've got to save for it. Well, what can I do? You can do extra chores and you can work. So now we have a working system. They can, the only way they earn money is that they do something around the house to work for it. Because now they're old enough. They, they need to be introduced to the concept of work, not just going like, I made my bed, pay me. Okay, everyone makes their bed. They don't get paid for that. So now it's a new elevation of it. If you want money, you're going to have to work for it. You know, clean some windows. Pick up some dog poop. Work for it. And so they understand the value. Hey, this is going to fall off my dad's tree. And it's a scrawny looking tree, right? Oh, here it is. No, it's going to be earned, right? Give. Save. Live. You know, and I want to delve a little bit into your suspicious mind. Why would a preacher teach his kids to give first? Why would I teach my kids that? Because I want them to I want them to know that that the church needs your money. They don't need their buck seventy five. Right? Come on now. It's a jump change, right? Because I want the church to get my kids money? No, come on, please. Because after service, I, I go into the, into the counting room and I grab the money. And I put it in the pillowcase and I run off. <laughs> go to my Honda and drive home. No, come on. Come on. Why am I teaching my kids this principle? Why am I teaching little kids this principle? Because I know it's the key that God designs for financial independence. It's the key. Independence from the belief that life doesn't equal stuff. When Burns shared, you realize life doesn't equal stuff. Maybe a few photos, right? Independence from a lifestyle that leaves God for emergency. I don't want my God, my, my kids growing up going, oh, God help me, rescue me. I don't want that for them. I want them to learn from the very beginning. I want them to be independent from a life independent from God. I want to know that God is the source. You can trust God. You can do that. And so my kids do this. I know that for the rest of their lives, for the rest of my children's lives, money will be God's primary competitor. I know that. And I don't want money to win. I don't want them choosing money over their marriages. I don't want them choosing money over my grandkids. I don't want them to be slaves to consumer debt. I know how painful that is. And how vicious it is. I don't want that for them. And if you're you're thinking, I don't want that either. Let me tell you something. Then stop living, live first, give last. Stop living that way. Because you're setting up your kids to live first, give last. You don't think they're watching you? You don't think when they ask stuff, things just pop up and appear? Oh, I want this. Poof, there it is. That is not reality. I wish it was. I'd be at Best Buy. I wish I had this. Poof, and I just grab and go. But that's just not our world. They'll arrest me. You'll go to jail. It's not reality. 
So I want them to own their stuff and not their stuff to own them. That's what I want. And I'm sure that's what you want. And this is how God says to do it. Give first. The very first thing that comes out of my check, and it's automatic. It's auto. It just happens. The 15 comes, boom, it's gone. Vanished. Because I give it online. Whether I'm in town, out of town, whether I'm sick, God gets it first. And then I save. I pay me. I hoard. Right? Because I can't be doing my job forever. I want young guys. My goal is to not get paid by the church anymore. Not to be on staff anymore. That's my goal. I want to do it on my own. I want to be able to go and help other places on my own. Amen. I don't want to be here. You want a 75-year-old. You don't want that. The kids don't want that. Your kids want someone young up here, right? Someone with energy. I don't think I'm going to have it at 75. I'm losing it now at 41. I get tired at 10 o'clock at night. I used to be waking up, and now I'm like, I'm tired. And I live on the rest. I get to live on the rest. It's so, I get to live on it. It's the coolest thing. I get to live. Live. Bills are paid. I'm saving. I'm living it up. Yeah, we go camping sometimes, but we're living it up. Fishing. Take my son to go hunting one day. Gonna hunt some pig over in Bakersfield one day. It's a free-for-all over there. They don't want them pigs. I will shoot them. And I will eat them. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then a couple minutes later, he says this. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat then? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Hoarding, right? For the pagans run after these things. The pagans. Those who don't recognize God as give, save, and live. Those who flip it. Those who flip it. Yes, that's right. Yes, if you flip it. Yes, yes, yes. You, your, your implication is correct. God is calling you a pagan. Amen. That's how they live. They flip it. It's live first, give last. That's what God says. So I, I could have I named this lesson, you know, Pagan the Hordarian, but I chose not to. It's, that's, not, that's not a good title, right? So it's the consumption assumption. So Jesus also says this. It's the crux. For your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The problem with hoarders is they don't believe that. At the deepest parts of their heart, they don't believe that. Man, I got, you know the bills I got? He thinks God, you know what I mean? God, God doesn't know your desire to save for your kid's college? You think God doesn't know that? Or your kid's medical bills? Or your medical bills? You think God's unaware? He says, I know that you need them. God's informed of your situation. And He gives us this this process. Does God care? In the meantime, He says, but, in the meantime, as you're in the gap, as you're waiting, as you're, as you're thinking about it, seek first His kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be 
given to you. Reprioritize. Seek first. Rearrange. Reorder. Give first versus live first. But seek first His kingdom. What that translates to is that put God first in your finances and He will be involved in your finances. He'll be involved in it. This is, this is why I, first thing I do, it, it, it comes first, it's, it's automatic. First thing we give is God. We give percentagely. And there's a common piece that comes at. It's seek first His kingdom, not first seek your kingdom. And when you put live first and save and give last, you're seeking your kingdom first. And it's hard for God to work with you. You're going to find yourself going off the road, off through the guardrail, and into the ditch of consuming and hoarding. You'll find yourself there. And it's a rat race trying to get out of there. It is a rat race. Bless you. Give first. Reprioritize. And I want you to think about percentage giving. That's a concept. Percentage. Whether it's a tithe or more than a tithe, it's a percentage. You're already paying, already praying financial prayers anyway. You might as well reprioritize them. You're already praying about it right now. You're going, God help me. Well, reprioritize. When you start praying and crying and going these mountaintops and you don't reprioritize, you'll be up there for a long time. You'll be up there for a long time. And you'll start convincing, God does not hear me. God hears you loud and clear. God's just telling you ABC. When you cry up there and you have CBA, you know the story. God said, why don't you answer me? He's like, I did. That crazy laughing guy with the microphone. He told you. That's what's going to happen. You can cry all you want on the hill. But if you don't, go, if you don't give, save, and live, God can't work with you. Can't. It's impossible, right? So, I want to encourage you to take a little baby step. Maybe some of you guys, you want to take a full step. I would encourage you to take one little mm, step. Because right now you're up to here. You're like, ah, give. That's crazy. Oh, save? Oh, yeah, I love saving. Saving's good stuff. Live? Oh, yeah, I live. But you're soaked to your eyeballs. You can't, you're like, you're like take a baby step. Mm. Ah, that felt good. Right? A step. When you get paid, whether it's a paycheck, a tip, or bonus, write your first check to God. Baby step. Amen. Maybe it's not what you, you know, you want to give, but you're giving. A step. Right? You're starting to live that way. Now, God doesn't like statues. So it's not, I'm not saying, baby step, oh yeah, I'm going to live here for 20 years. Oh yeah. No. Keep walking. Right? Sometimes you think, I'll take a baby step. Oh yeah, I increased it to 0.002%. Woohoo! Woo! I'm going to rock out here for 30 years. No. <laughs> not what I'm saying. Financial independence is living as if your ultimate dependence is not on finance. That's what it means. That's what it means. The second step is you save. You write a check to yourself. 
That feels good. If you're a hoarder, you're fired up right now. Check to me, and you put that in an account. Boom. I don't care where you got Roth IRA. I don't care where you put it. Put it where it can just grow and get crazy in there. And you're encouraged to get crazy, man. Grow, man. Yes, save it. Let it grow. And your third is you live. You spend. You get consume. You want the little coach bag? Ah, oh, save for it. We'll get it now. Go get it. Go, girl. Right? Wants a new Nikes, new new outfit? Hey, save a little bit and go get some. Live on the rest. Live on it. But we don't even scratch the surface yet. It's a great, great little box of the overseas former Russians right here. Every year we give a special missions contribution. We give, save, and live. Every year we give special missions. Every year, the principle of what you don't do is always exposed. I've been saving for special since last year. A little out of time. So come, come June, 20, last weekend of June, I'm ready. I'm not like, all right, now we might go a little extra this year and, and, and do our little food budget but, and, and, and cut that in half just to, just to go a little above and beyond, but we're on track and saving. Every year we do this, and right now, as we go, we're going to unleash the darkness that of light of us helping these churches have churches there. Because without us, there wouldn't be churches there. Amen. Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Okay? Now, a small percentage goes to Norway, but the bulk of our, 90% of our, of our, of our giving goes to these three countries. And in fact, Kato Liesman is coming next Tuesday on the 14th of May to speak with us and just to express his gratitude on what God is doing with our uh, encouraging giving. Right now, we're at, wait for it, 3600 We give the last weekend of June, so we're off to a good start. And turn in as you go, as you get it, to go ahead and turn it in. Don't wait for it. Don't wait till the last day. Turn it in as soon as you can. Our goal is to hit over $25,000. We want to go way above and beyond that. Way above. We want to keep the rest of the overflow here in our shoreline ministry. We also want to think about advancing the kingdom of the Central Coast. There are plans being made. Okay, hey, there, there, we need to, we need to re, replant the St. Louis Episcopal Church. Come on, baby. Many of you guys know that church. Some of you guys came from that church. There's like four Christ, disciples in our church up there. This is a little house church. We want to replant that campus ministry. What if your kids want to go to slow? But I'm going to slow, Dad. No, don't go there. But I'm going. We, want, we want there to be a campus ministry up there, like there is in Santa Barbara. So I want to encourage you to keep thinking, keep saving, keep praying about this. We want to build a campus ministry. We want to have camp. We want, our campus ministry is about to go to ten disciples. Come on, come on! Mm, I love that, right? I want to see it fifty, right? But they're going to have needs. They're going to have someone to lead it and take care of it. We want to hire some campus interns to lead that ministry. We got a singles ministry we're trying to grow, right? Millennials. There's only two of you. You're like, here, here. We want a youth minister. We got a lot of kids coming up. We want to build and fund an orphanage. We want to have our own building. That means give, save, and live. We're never going to achieve these if we live, save, and give. It's not going to happen that way. It doesn't. This would not require anything extraordinary to have any of the things I mentioned. It would not take anything extraordinary. Just obedience from everyone. Nothing extraordinary from anyone, but obedience from everyone. I'm in. 
My kids are in. Are you in? Give, save, live. That's how you guard against greed. Thanks for your time, guys.